Welcome back to your favorite sports podcast, All Good Points. This episode is going to be gnarly. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Basically, I found my favorite games of this upcoming week from three different sports, starting with the Georgia Bulldogs versus the LSU Tigers. Moving on, we're going to talk about the Pats versus the Chiefs and the Yanks versus the Red Sox in the AL Division Series. As per usual, you guys will be getting your fantasy fix in our final segment. It's all sports, all players, and all good points. Now let's get to it. Okay, guys, Georgia sits at 6-0 and heading into Tiger Stadium. Now, I understand that the Bulldogs are favored to win, but honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if LSU pulls off an upset. One of the reasons that I'm saying this is because Georgia really hasn't played anyone. I mean, the only ranked team that they actually played was South Carolina. And although I love the Gamecocks, they weren't really a match for Georgia. And honestly, why would they be? Georgia has been dominant for like the last two years, maybe three years, if you if you kind of go back and take a look at some of their uh, statistics from like three years ago. But with Jake Fromm at the helm, Georgia's been really, really good. So why would South Carolina be any kind of competition for them? But if you look at the rest of their schedule, it's weak as hell. Like their, their schedule is weak as hell leading up to this point against the game uh, with LSU. LSU, on the other hand, has wins over the number seven Auburn, and Ole Miss. So their only loss was against a fairly stacked Florida Gator team. But for a second, let's take a look at LSU's best win this year against Auburn. Auburn threw two interceptions, had 111 yards in penalties, and lost the time of possession battle by 10 minutes. Now, I always talk about the time of possession battle. Now, let me tell you why that's important, since maybe I haven't explained enough of why the time of possession battle is important. If one team has the ball for over 10 minutes than the than the opposing team that team was pretty much in control of the game that's the way that you could put it because 10 minutes is very very close to being a quarter long now of course any team can come back within a quarter you know score three touchdowns in a corner a quarter we've seen teams do that before but what i'm saying is the control the the majority control of the game would go to the team that has the ball longer and one one reason why that is is because They keep their offense on the field. Secondly, they keep the opposing team's defense on the team on the field, which is what breaks down a defense. Like if a if a defense is on the field for so long, the only thing that's going to happen is that defense is going to break down. That's that's the the end story is that team breaks down and they can't they can't really play high intensity defense if they're sitting on on the field the whole time and they don't get a break meanwhile the offense is sitting on the bench waiting for their chance to get back in there but what happens with that offensive people can get cold they can they can get too rested to where they start to feel the fatigue a little bit because when you're out there on the field you have so much adrenaline pumping that It's really beneficial for you until you run out of stamina, but it's beneficial for you because you're able to play at a high intensity level. But when you move off the field and you're sitting on the bench and you're waiting to get back out there and waiting and waiting, your fatigue can start to set in and you won't play as well, which is one of the reasons why I say LSU is so good because consistently they're usually winning the time of possession battle. They're keeping their offense on the field. By doing that, they're making sure that their defense is rested and they can actually go out there and play with high intensity once they get back on defense, which is why I like LSU so much. Now, that formula 
is the same formula that they're going to need to use against Georgia. They're going to need to run the ball, keep Georgia's offense off the field, and grind the game out. That's the key to beating Georgia, is grinding the game out, making sure their offense stays on the sideline, and when they do get out there, the defense is so well-rested that they can force three and outs, or maybe they get a couple of first downs, but they end up having to punt. Like You don't want it to where Georgia has time to progress down the field and move. And if you keep your defense well energized, that's the key. Keeping your defense well energized, you won't run into that problem because the defense can play with high intensity. And if they can pressure, if they if they play with high intensity and they're able to pressure and sack Jake Fromm to where he can't make his reads, he can't go through his progressions, if they stop the run game that Georgia has because Georgia actually has a really good run game, if they could stop that, LSU is probably going to take this game. That's that's where I'm leaning right now. Georgia, on the other hand, hasn't had a tough game yet, but we're going to take a look at what they do best, which is defense. Right now, they have the second best defense, right? Only one team has scored more than 20 points against them. The goal for Georgia is going to be keeping the same intensity on defense against LSU. So that's that's kind of why I say this is going to be... if. If I'm right, which usually I am, this should be a battle as far as defense goes. Like both defenses should play with very, very high intensity. They should come with a lot, a lot, a lot of plays. Like the defense is going to be what wins the game for whoever wins. Like that will be the highlight of the whole thing is whose defense played better and whose defense could play more consistently. Who Whose defense was less fatigued, more energized, and made more big plays. And by big plays, I'm not talking about they, they don't need to have a whole bunch of interceptions or anything like that or fumble recoveries. They just need to put pressure on the quarterback, right? Control the game to where they want it to go and stop the run game. That's that's what I'm saying. The key for Georgia is going to be defense first, offense second, and LSU needs to win the time of possession battle by le- like if if they focus on letting their running back Nick Brissett, their senior running back go off, if they just feed him the ball to where he's able to get first down after first down and wear down that Georgia defense, LSU is going to be in really, really good shape. And that's, I mean, I I may be a little bit biased here, and I know I say no bias, but I kind of want LSU to take this game because LSU has been beating top people. They beat number eight Miami, and they beat number seven Auburn. Both of those teams are ranked higher than them. I think this could be their their next chance to take down a top five team. Like Georgia's ranked at number three. Could you imagine how many people are going to be talking about LSU if they actually can beat Georgia? If they go in there and beat Georgia, even though like it's at home, like this is LSU at home. So this is a whole other thing. Like this is a completely different animal. You've got LSU at home. And if they win, if they go out there and they actually play hard and battle to where their defense is just lights out and their offense is just running the ball down Georgia's throat. LSU is going to come out of this game looking like one of the best teams in college football. And I have been saying that LSU is a top team in college football, but people people seem to not pay attention to them because of the ranking system. But the ranking system in college football is so jacked up. Like you have Georgia that's ranked number three, but they haven't beat, they've beat one ranked team that was ranked 24th. Like how are they number three? Oh, they're six and zero. Oh. Okay, they're six and zero. Oh. Look who, who look who they played. So if you're looking at who they have played versus who they're about to play in LSU, and LSU actually comes out there and beats them, LSU is going to move 
all the way up. I would say they should move up into the top 10. If they beat Georgia, they should move up into the top 10. I'm not saying that they need to be top five or anything like that, but top 10, if they're sitting at like number nine or something like that, I'll be really, really happy. But people need to start paying attention to LSU because this is a more dominant and aggressive team in the league, and they have beaten really, really good teams. So what we're going to do now is head over to Gillette Stadium for a battle between two titans of the AFC. Okay, the Chiefs are riding a hot streak, and that's an understatement. I'll say a red hot streak. But they have not played the real Goliath of the AFC up until now. It's Mahomes versus Brady, the young buck versus the seasoned shot caller. For me, this game is the highlight of week six. Two great quarterbacks, two great running backs, and two great teams trying to grasp a firm hold on the AFC. Now, what's interesting is Kansas City is not favored to win this game, mainly because New England is 3-0 at home. And of course, it's the Patriots. So the question is, can the high-powered offense of the Chiefs take down the Pats? Honestly, this is hard for me to decide. I want to say no, just because the Patriots are on a roll, but the Chiefs have rolled through some really tough teams. Like, for instance, they beat the Steelers and they beat Jacksonville, Jacksonville without a problem. This game is going to come down to defense. Can the Chiefs secondary stop Gordon, Edelman, and Gronk? Can the Pats secondary stop Hill, Kelsey, and Hunt? And how are they going to account for Mahomes' mobility? That's that's a real question right there. Honestly, this game could go either way, but for the sake of competition and for me being the kind of person that likes to pick games, I'm going to take the Patriots at home. Now, I'll tell you why. The Patriots got Edelman, right? They got Gordon, Okay. Two weapons. Just they got Edelman back and they picked up Gordon. Those are two weapons that are irreplaceable. Okay. You can have you can have a lot of different wide receivers in the league, but I'm gonna tell you nobody is a better possession receiver than Julian Edelman. Nobody gets open, like sneakily open, than Julian Edelman. And nobody knows Tom Brady better than Julian Edelman. He works his way back to Tom. That's what he does. Like He makes sure that he can work his way back to Tom. He makes sure that Tom knows where he's at on the field the whole time. And honestly, it may seem like Gronk is Tom's go-to receiver, but at the end of the day, everybody knows that it's Edelman, okay? He found, though, or I shouldn't say he found, the New England staff picked up a diamond in the rough when they decided to get Josh Gordon. That is that is a prime pickup. Regardless of all the issues that this guy has, he is a great wide receiver, okay? So now he has this big tall target kind of like when he had Randy Moss. I'm not saying I'm not saying Josh Gordon is Randy Moss yet. I'm just saying he's got that tall, speedy receiver that gets open and can make contested catches consistently. That's what Josh Gordon does. That's what he was doing for the Browns before he ran into all of his issues. And then you couple that with Julian Edelman and his escapability. Like you can be a corner that is on top of him and he's going to find a way to shake you off and get open. Julian Edelman was the Adam Thielen before Adam Thielen was recognized. That's what Julian Edelman is. Just like Danny Amendola. Danny Amendola like mimics the way that Julian Edelman plays. And that's why Danny is so good. So yes, the Patriots lost Danny. They don't really need him. They don't really use Cordero Patterson, but 
Now they can introduce him differently to confuse defenses. And Kansas City's defense, although they've like, you know, they, they kind of stalled out the Jaguars, but do the Jaguars really have an offense? No, they're known for their defense. That's what the Jaguar the the Jacksonville Jaguars are known for. But Tom now has this plethora of wide receivers. It was kind of like in the beginning of the season, they gave him like an unloaded gun. And they were like, ah, figure something out. Hit him over the head with it. See if that works. But now they gave this guy like four magazines and was like, you know what? Take everybody out. Like that's that's the way that this went. And that's why I'm so excited to see this game because it's offense versus offense. And you want to talk about the opposite side. You want to talk about the guys that are over in Kansas City. You got Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. You got Kareem Hunt in the backfield. That's a dangerous team already. And then you have a quarterback that can move all the way out of the pocket and outrun defenders. That's what he did at Texas Tech. That's what he's doing in Kansas City. Now, a lot of people are looking at uh, Mayhem's last game and we're like, oh, well, you know, I think he only threw for like 196 yards. He threw an interception. He ran for a touchdown. But they were like, oh, he kind of got slowed down. Yes, he did get slowed down. But you have to think, maybe that was their game plan. Maybe they didn't want the ball in the air the whole time. Maybe they wanted to focus on time of possession or running the ball more, establishing a running game so they could beat down the Jaguars. That's kind of what I'm thinking happened with Kansas City and maybe why uh, Mahomes didn't really go too crazy last week. But now he's going to be playing New England. And New England's secondary isn't Jacksonville's secondary. Their their secondary isn't as good as that. So I think they're going to turn the ball back over to Patrick and be like, you know what? See if you can rip them apart. See if you can pick apart their their weak points in the secondary and expose them and get an early lead. And I think that's going to be the key for Kansas City is getting an early lead on New England. If they can do that, maybe the defense can let up a little bit. Maybe the defense can have a little bit of a cushion, have a little bit of a bump just in case something goes wrong because you are playing Tom Brady. You're not, you're not playing Blake Bortles, right? You're playing arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. Maybe there's an argument for the best quarterback that has ever been in the NFL. Now, I'm not going to say what, say whether I think he is or not. I'm just going to say this is a completely different beast for Kansas City. And I don't think, even with me being a Vikings fan, we're playing the Cardinals this week, but even with me being that Vikings fan, I think the New England and Kansas City game is the game that I'm most excited for because I want to see if if Patrick is what everybody thinks he is. And I want to see if Tom can actually just outscore somebody based on his new weapons. And that's the only reason I'm saying that. If this was three weeks ago where Tom barely had a weapon on the field, I would say no, the, the Saints are going to be able to win the scoring battle. But now... You introduce Josh Gordon, Julian Edelman, Rob Gronkowski, Gronkowski, sorry, and Sony Michelle. You want to talk about Sony Michelle, a a crazy, crazy good running back, right? The guy that was running behind Nick Chubb when they were in college, and Nick Chubb is actually going off in Cleveland, but I won't get to that. But Sony Michelle is a great running back. And he's opening up this brand new set of play calls for the New England Patriots. Now, what is Kansas City gonna do about that? They didn't have to face Leonard Fournette. Right? They didn't have to go against him. They had to go against TJ Yeldon, which he isn't Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle is a completely different animal. So Kansas City's gonna have to figure out a way to stop that as well. It's 
it's so crazy, and I'm having so much fun just thinking about this game. Thinking about me sitting down, drinking a beer, eating some food, and watching this game play out is just so fascinating to me. Like, I'm so excited for it. So, honestly, you guys have to tell me who you think is going to win this game. Email me on, uh, or sorry, at allgoodpointspodcast at gmail.com. Hit me up on Instagram. The Instagram is popping. We're doing giveaways and stuff like that. So hit me up on there. Tell me who you think is going to win. Now, it's actually time to cover America's pastime as the Yankees are one loss, one loss away from being booted out of the ALCS. Now, currently, I'm kind of tracking the game between the Yankees and the Red Sox, and it's 4-1 Red Sox in the top of the eighth. To be fair, after game two, I kind of thought the Yankees were going to hit their stride and win three in a row. I kind of just thought they were going to, you know, use the Aaron Rodgers term and run the table. You think it'd be a score fest for the Yankees with having Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and Gary Sanchez. But game three, game three is what threw me for a loop because it was a totally different animal. The Red Sox absolutely obliterated New York, posting a 16-1 to win. The Red Sox scored seven times in the fourth inning, which essentially just put the game out of, the reach, for the, out of reach for the Yankees. Now, with the series on the line and the Yankees already down 4-1 to in the top of the eighth, they're, they're turning to CC Sabathia who in five postseason starts has a 3.76 ERA. That's earns run average. Now, that's not bad, but he's also 2-2 two and two in those games, which means if he loses, which is what seems, it's kind of what's going on right now, if he, if he loses, the Yankees are done. And honestly, I liked the Yanks this year, but they haven't had a great pitcher like uh, Roger Clements or uh, Andy Pettit in a very, very long time. This whole offseason, whether they win or lose tonight, which, I mean, it kind of seems like they're going to lose, win or lose, they need to focus on bringing a deep pitching group to avoid seven runs being scored in one inning. You cannot, you can't, you can't let a team score seven runs in one inning and expect to be even relevant in baseball. I mean, I'm a Twins fan, so I know when you're not relevant in baseball. Like, I'm like sitting on the sidelines going, all right, well, who am I going to root for? Who am I going to put my air quotes up and, and root for? You know? Um, and it was the Yankees this year because I like the Yankees. I like Giancarlo Stanton. I like Aaron Judge. I like Gary Sanchez. I do like CeCe Sabathia. So there's players on the team that I like. But right now, I mean, these guys went into. They went into this series looking like they were going to be a really, really good team, like an actual contender. But right now, I'm sitting going, well, where did the Red Sox come from? Like, what, what is this action that I'm seeing from the Red Sox? I didn't know that they could be this dominant. Like, I really didn't. I honestly did not expect that from the Red Sox. So at this point in the game, I'm guessing that the Red Sox are going to win, even though it's the top of the eighth. So I guess it's kind of cheating. But... I do expect the Red Sox to win this game. I don't see them coming back from three wins or, or three runs or anything like that and, and actually being able to win this game. So with New York being eliminated, I guess that begs the question for me, who do I think is going to actually be able to take the World Series? And someone asked me a question like this on Instagram, which is why I love Instagram, because you guys ask your questions, I respond to them, and I love them. He asked me who I think is going to win the World Series. I'm going to say right now with Springer and Alcove, 
it's got to be the Houston Astros. That's just where that's where my head's at right now. And it doesn't have anything to do with them winning the World Series before. It just has to do with them being, for me, a complete team. A lot of people think the Cinderella story is the Brewers. Milwaukee's not really going to go very far, so don't 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 worry too much about that. The Yankees is really, I mean, I thought the Yankees were going to be really, really good, especially when it came playoff time. I was like, oh, playoff time? Aaron Judge, Giancarlo, and Gary Sanchez are all going to show up. And they did, but the problem is they're pitching. They don't have, they don't have that pitcher, you know, that has that it factor. They have guys that are just like journeymen. Like in football, you have journeymen where it's, uh, it's guys that, you know, they they play starting quarterback, but they're clearly not a starting quarterback. Baseball has the same kind of thing, too, when it comes to pitchers. It's like guys that can fill in for people, but they're not guys that you want to be leading your team. And that's what the Yankees are going through right now. So their whole offseason, and I mean their whole offseason, needs to be spent finding a pitcher. I don't care if you have to let go of Gary Sanchez. I don't care if you have to let go of Giancarlo Stanton or let go of CeCe Sabathia and two other pitchers to pick up an actual pitcher that's going to be able to close games for you. Because if you can't close games regardless of what you do through the regular season the second you get to the playoffs you're going to run into an issue you're going to run into some serious serious trouble so my pick for winning the world series is going to be the houston astros unfortunately it's not the yankees and although i'm not a yankees fan i feel for the yankees fans that are out there thinking that since they had three guys that could hit homers like nobody's business that they were going to be able to propel themselves forward through the playoffs and the series. I should say series, not playoffs. But they they should have they should have been able to do more. But at the end of the day, it's not Judge's, Stanton's, or um, Sanchez's fault that they're having all of these issues. The problem is in their pitching. And until they figure that out, you can have all the heavy hitters in the world unless you want to just try to score as many runs in, as possible, which we all know that does not work in baseball. You you can't just score runs. You have to be able to stop people from scoring runs. So until they fix that issue, the Yankees are going to be the Yankees. They're going to be the team that disappoints a lot of people when they get to the, to the, um, the postseason. So what we're going to do now is we're going to turn over to our fantasy football news and our picks of the week. All right, guys, so we're going to start with our leaders of the week. You had James Conner come in at 34.5. He had 110 yards and two touchdowns. He's playing the Bengals this week. Make sure you start him. The Bengals probably won't be able to stop him, especially if he's coming out of the backfield. They're going to have a tough time covering James Conner. Second up, you got Todd Gurley. Came in at 33.3, 77 yards and three touchdowns. This guy's a monster. Denver doesn't have enough people to cover him, so make sure you start Todd Gurley. I shouldn't even have to say start Todd Gurley. You know to start Todd Gurley, unless it's a bye week. Um, Eric Ebron came in at 31.5. This one kind of freaked me out because he came out of nowhere for me. Like, I was kind of like, like, I knew Eric Ebron was a good tight end, but this game, 105 yards and two touchdowns, I didn't really see that one happening. Like, that kind of threw me for a loop. Um, But he is playing the Jets this week, and the Jets have only gave up an average of 33.4 yards in a game to tight ends. So... Don't expect him to have the same kind of game against the Jets because they seem to be pretty good at covering tight ends. I'd say 
start him if you feel good. If if it's in your gut that you want to start Eric Ebron because you think he's going to have the same kind of week, I don't know. Maybe he's he's reestablished himself as a newfound target and he's going to get a lot of looks. Hopefully, hopefully for your sake, if you have him on your team, hopefully you start him and hopefully he plays well. Uh, next up is our who's out and who's in. Cooper Cup and Brandon Cooks, you guys are going to need to monitor them because there's a chance that they're going to miss the game against Denver since they both went out with concussions last week. So unless they, you know, pass the concussion protocol, they might not be playing. And if they're sitting on your starting lineup just because you haven't been paying attention to your fantasy team, there's a chance that you could be screwed out of uh, Cooper Cup or Brandon Cooks. Next up, Corey Grant and Austin Safarian Jenkins. Both of these guys are on the IR, so it's time to drop them. Um, the good news is TJ Yeldon will probably have a much bigger role now because Corey Grant is down. So silver lining, make sure you start Cor- uh, make sure you start TJ Yeldon because he's going to be getting a lot of looks. Greg Olson for Carolina is going to be returning this week, so go ahead and throw him in your lineup. That's a tight end that you don't want to have sitting on the bench. Now for some quick sleepers. I've got D.D. Westbrook plays for Houston. This guy is a huge upside because Will Fuller is still having issues with his hamstring. Didi has been getting a lot of looks. There's going to be an increased workload the more he goes on and the more that he continues to develop the relationship with um, Deshaun Watson. Uh, Next up, AP. He had a rough game, but he's probably going to bounce back, so don't bench him just yet. Carolina's given up about 95 yards per game on the ground, so as long as AP feels good, he's going to be seeing the ball a lot. Your last one, your last sleeper is Alfred Morris. Matt Breda, or however you pronounce his name, is going to be out for a few weeks. So Morris will step in as the feature back, probably somewhere around 20 touches a game. He should be able to bring in, I'm thinking, about eight points. So Alfred Morris is a definite go. Pick him up if he's on the waivers. He gets the ball a lot. He had like some fumbling issues before, but goal line wise, Alfred Morris is always in there. So that's touchdowns. That's some extra points. All right, now we're going to move on to our picks of the week. I've got the Eagles over the Giants on our Thursday night game. I got the Falcons over the Bucks, Redskins over the Panthers, Raiders over the Seahawks, Colts over the Jets, Vikings over the Cardinals, Steelers over the Bengals, Browns over the Chargers, Texans over the Bills, Bears over the Dolphins, Rams over the Broncos, duh, Titans over the Ravens, Jaguars over the Cowboys, Patriots over the Chiefs, and Packers over the 49ers. Now, Packers over the 49ers. Aaron Rodgers uh, had some issues in that last game, right? I'm just going to say right now he's not going to have those issues again. Mason Crosby is not going to miss those field goals again. The Packers are winning that game. Patriots over the Chiefs. I covered this earlier, so we're just going to say Patriots. Jaguars over the Cowboys. The Cowboys' offense is not the Patriots' offense, right? So the Jaguars are are going to be able to take that game. I Honestly, the Jaguars, um, what I meant to say is that Kansas City is not the Cowboys' offense. The Cowboys is not Kansas City, so the Jaguars are going to win. That's the moral of that story. Titans over the Ravens. Titans had a tough game against the Bills. I see them bouncing back, and although the Ravens are good... I think the Titans are out are going to be able to outcoach the Ravens and come up with a better scheme and a better offensive plan to win that game. I'm taking the Rams over the Broncos. That's obvious reasons. I don't even want to get into it. Bears over the Dolphins. The Bears defense against the Dolphins offense. Bears defense, way better. So if Mitchell Trubisky can have the same kind of game that he had a couple weeks ago, the Bears are going to just roll right over the Dolphins. Texans over the Bills. Don't even worry about the Bills. The Bills aren't good, okay? They're they're beating teams, and I know they beat Minnesota, so maybe I'm a little angry. 
but they're beating teams that are not playing at the top of their game. That's when they catch teams slipping. I'm taking the Texans, though, because the Texans are coming off of a win. They're feeling good. Everybody's getting a lot of attention, so I see the Texans winning that game, and I don't see them being able to stop Deshaun Watson on foot. Browns over the Chargers. I know that's an upset. I know. But I'm taking the Browns. And it's weird because the Chargers are playing really, really good. But I just see the Browns being able to pull off one of those wins right now. That's what I'm feeling. Steelers over the Bengals. Steelers usually get the best of the Bengals most of the time. So I have to take the Steelers. Vikings over the Cardinals. They're not going to let a rookie quarterback do that to them again. And the Vikings defense played really well against a great offense last week. So I'm taking the Vikings. Colts over the Jets. It's just the Colts have like this luck. No pun intended, but they do have this luck, and I don't think that the Jets are actually going to be able to compete with them in that sense. Raiders over the Seahawks. I think the Raiders maybe can get on track against the Seahawks, hopefully, because John Gruden is sweating right now. Redskins over the Panthers. The Redskins are going to bounce back from that blowout against the against the Saints, and I think the Redskins are actually going to knock this, uh, the Panthers down a peg to where they can't really catch up to the Saints. Falcons over the Buccaneers. The Falcons had a weird game, um, but I do see Matt getting control of his offense again and kind of slinging it. I'm starting Matt Ryan in my fantasy league, so that tells you what I'm thinking. Eagles over the Giants. The Eagles are going to bounce back from that loss against the Vikings and actually beat the Giants. I'm not too worried about that. Eli Manning is struggling really, really bad. Odell Beckham threw a pass for like 54 yards. I don't even think Eli has done that yet, so I have to take the Eagles. Now, you guys can send in your picks to the All Good Points Podcast at gmail.com. It's just All Good Points Podcast at gmail.com. Or if you want to send them to me on Instagram at All Good Points, follow me on Instagram at Ricky underscore Gray underscore Junior. Thank you so much for listening. You guys are a great audience. Have a wonderful, wonderful sports weekend. This has been All Good Points. The podcast you just heard was published with Anchor. Got something you want to say to the creator of this show? Send them a voice message using the Anchor app, free for iOS and Android.